so quickly <laughs> but actually it's only a memory in the present isn't it a lifetime right now is a perception in the present <clears throat> and that's all that's the way it is you know it's a fact So, of course, then we, we proliferate about our lifetime. We can, you know, I've done this and was born in this place and went to these schools and so forth. But it's only in the present, isn't it? The, the memories we might, in chronological order, recite them, write our autobiographies, but then the reality is always now. And so a whole lifetime is summed up as a memory. Then the death is a memory, is a, is a perception. I can't remember dying, physically dying, but physical death is a perception in the present. So let's take that word death and, re, you know, and then reflect on it. Because it's, uh, it's a word that uh, 
many people find rather frightening and associated with what we don't know, mystery, darkness. Um, can be, you know, scared to death, we say, or uh, the idea of dying is, is uh, a perception that gives us a certain emotional reaction. So then, just by investigating this, by noticing, what is death right now? You know, the perception for me is just, it is what it is. The, the word itself, D-E-A-T-H, is just that. And then, the, then what I create around that perception So this is like one's moving back to the point that you can't get beyond. And this is the, what meditation is really all about, or the spiritual journey or developing the path. It's, 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 re, it's about relinquishing rather than attaining. And as I recognize just the language itself is uh, worldly language is all about achievement, attaining, getting something you don't have, proving yourself in some way, um, doing something you haven't done. Um, you know, so these words are resonate in terms of, of worldly, worldly uh, activities. <clears throat> to attain nibbana, to to attain samadhi and so forth, achievements, getting the jhanas, uh, get, you know, the, these are, this is the worldly way of thinking. What is it now? You see, well, that, that's how we talk, that's how we think. <clears throat> when we go into the university, and you know, I'm going to, I have to get my bachelors, my masters, that want to have uh, good grades, attain, uh, have a reward, have something to show for it, show for my life. <clears throat> Achievements. So that's about the future, isn't it? Achieving and attaining something, we think, is always about the, the potential in the future of getting something that we think is worth striving for, working hard to get, uh, that we don't have right now. <clears throat> so then, just uh, the regards to the Buddhist meditation, or the spiritual life, the holy life, the life of a samana, a monk or a nun, what do these is this a way to, to think about monastic life, achieving and attaining, becoming? You know, so then, then we can, you know, it's a convention, so you can use the convention in, the, in, in a worldly way. <clears throat> so attaining, achieving states of concentration, of uh, developing, acquiring, getting rid of the defilements, 
purifying your mind, um, and then in the reward, the reward in the end will be the attainment of nibbana. Or what? You, now this is what I find from my investigation in this in this, in this way. It, then somehow that doesn't make any sense to me anymore. Attaining and achieving don't seem to seems to be very misleading ways of thinking. <clears throat> because to me the experience is about relinquishing, letting go, not not becoming anything. Not getting rid of anything is not here to to get rid of things, or to change things, or to to uh, get something we don't have, or get rid of what we have. So then, it it really helps if you start thinking in ways that that uh, that give the give a more clear uh, direction, because. You know, we've all tried to attain. In, in when we start, you know, and I started monastic life, even though I understood, <clears throat> you know, one part of me understood on an intellectual level, I could understand the the ideas of it and that. Yet the the uh, character tendency was an achieving, attaining uh, way of doing it. Monastic life became a challenge and. Uh, wanted to get something out of it, achieve something. <clears throat> so I remember we used to, you know, just to, the amusing things of, of competitive, the competitions among monks, about who can chant the patimokha the fastest. <laughs> who can make the best uh, bowl stand and and robes and I mean the the attaining achieving competitive mind goes into what what into monastic life. Interesting, like when you when you're giving up when I mean, you're living brahmacharya life, life of chastity. You know, you be, you become I've, all of us have suffered from this uh, obsession around sweets. Because the only sensual pleasure you can really can get away with in this life is <laughs> chocolate. In Thailand, they didn't even have that, so you had sugar. So you know, because your sensuality couldn't couldn't uh, couldn't kind of expand anything else, it would affect around what was allowed. It's ridiculous, isn't it? To be, you know, a grown man. Daydreaming, scheming. How do? How can I get get a hit? I want some sweets. <laughs> but it does put things into perspective. The, the 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 nature of desire. You know, if you you know, if you take on a form, and no matter how altruistic it it might be, you know, wanting to to say purify the mind and 
and become enlightened and totally unselfish and and um, pure of heart all the best <coughs> these are the you know these are the ideals what we uh, what we would like to become but yet in the process we have to deal with what happens what comes up in the in the consciousness during the day and night so just because you you shave your head and put on a robe doesn't mean you're just magically transformed into into a purified being it's just it's a it's just the beginning one could even get uh, you know I found the greed would get around you know the kind of greedy nature would would go toward anything that I could acquire like an alms bowl remember when stainless steel alms bowls first started coming into the sangha one monk who came with this got a stainless steel alms bowl and I could just see myself wanting one of those and then trying not to want it I mean I don't really want a stainless steel alms bowl but then I could feel the energy <laughs> of wanting one you know seeing looking at his and wanting something like that because it's easier to take care of the old iron bowls we had you know they're always they took a lot of care because they rust and uh, there are all these rules around taking care of the arms bowl uh, the only we had what pong was the only elaborate way of kind of ceremonial practice of taking care of the arms bowl so that because you're supposed to look as precious as the buddha's head so you don't just put it anywhere or or uh, leave it unwashed or unclean or anything there's always this sense of taking care of it and and cleaning it very thoroughly so there's not any odor left in it and um, and then uh, the old steel alms bowls were, were um, you know to, to, you had to fire them in the dry bamboo so they form a crust around them that that protects them stops the rust but then if that after you fire them if you, you can get this really nice fired surface if you're good at this the very not an easy thing to do to fire an arms bowl and then and then you've got to protect it because just you know one clumsy movement you can crack the surface of your arms bowl so that little crust will split and then the rust creeps in so you you, you know the, the, the stainless steel arms bowl the problem solved and it's also got many good advantages like you know it's um, trying to find dr- proper bamboo and everything to do it takes time and and uh, it's much more practical and my my practical mind would just easily dominate
But in monastic life, the, 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 the awareness is around the life itself, the alms bowl, the robes, the, the, the four requisites. So this is, you know, this is the, the kind of uh, quality of the samana life. Uh, one who depends on the goodness of others. You become a samana, then you're you no longer uh, can just do, you know, um, get what you want because you've, you've got the money to do it. You, if what you need, then you've got to, you depend on your basic needs. Uh, um, the kindness of, the, of, the, of other people. So what does that do to the mind? How does that affect consciousness? This is an interesting thing. One can look at idealistically and, and, you know, one can find it inspiring or even depressing. You know, part of me recognizes that uh, is, a, is a good thing and another part of me would think, what a stupid thing to do, to, to put yourself in a dependent, you know, how do you know anybody really cares about you enough to give you anything you need? And the whole American conditioning processes around being self-sufficient, independent. Not about being dependent for basic needs is, is rather humiliating. So I was brought up, I can take care of myself, I don't need you. You know, I look after myself. I'm self-sufficient. I'm not a needy person. <clears throat> I'm my own man, independent. Pride, you know, a real American is like that. <laughs> then uh, into the Buddhist monastic system in Thailand. Woke up one morning and, wow, what have I done? You know, every morning they get up and go out on the and, 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 you know, prepare the alms bowl and go out into the village and so forth. So the point, of course, is, you know, it, it's, it's, it's going in the opposite direction of the condition, my cultural conditioning. It's challenging it in a way. So if I just try to analyze this life with, with, a, with my cultural way of thinking, you know, then it, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't work very well. It's, uh, my cultural conditioning is, is based on progress and attainment and achievement, independence, self-sufficiency, proving yourself, getting somewhere, becoming something. <clears throat> That's my cultural, cultural mindset. So then uh, Buddhist monastic life, especially as practiced in the Thai forest tradition, was always this kind of mirror for that. Because you don't just get rid of that by becoming a Buddhist monk. That affects how you interpret your life uh, within, the, within the Sangha in Thailand. <clears throat> Thank you.
So when I started just evaluating the Sangha life with an American mindset, I'd get, usually miss the point. Didn't work there. Because the whole, the whole uh, you know, sometimes I could kind of boost it up, make it very inspiring. Then the, the next day I could look at it and become very critical of everything. Because that's the the way the the intellect works, you know. You can you can wind yourself up with inspiration, and uh, and you can and then sink down into depression, into aversion toward the very thing that inspired you the day before. So it was a different using a different level, isn't it? It's a, using the what we call awareness, intuition. I use the word intuition which is reflecting on the way things are, you know, like awakening, looking, observing, rather than evaluating, analyzing, criticizing, or justifying anything. <clears throat> so this is, and I found this, you know, this is the, the, the directness the Buddha's teaching is all about this reflectiveness how to use the form, how to use the convention, monastic convention, or awareness, not for institutionalizing us into becoming Buddhists, Buddhist monks and Buddhist nuns, good monks, strict monks, strict nuns, uh, obedient and uh, all the rest, and party line types, you know, uh, so forth. It's, we can become we can become that way easily enough because if we look at this convention with a worldly mind, that's what we do with it. So it's important to recognize the worldly way of thinking and its limitation. You know, the just like the seniority or. That the uh, how we when we look at the the hierarchical structure, you know, we we can you know our critical mind starts operating because uh, we look at hierarchy through a worldly attitude. Like an American looks at hierarchy always with you know suspicion and aversion. Remember when I first when I first. Um, when I was in the Peace Corps in Malaysia, first time in my life, I had, even though I was a Peace Corps volunteer, I had two servants. I had, there was a woman that would do the laundry and the cleaning and a, and a boy that would do the cooking. Well, American that has servants, I didn't know what to do with them. They scared me to death. Because Americans, we don't we don't think in terms of servants. You see, we don't we we think you know the servants, the boss are all the same, you know, equal, and uh, and you and you don't you you, aren't, you don't you resist this this kind of master position of uh, the boss. You say, boy, cook the fish. You know, I couldn't do that totally impossible. 
And yet he would have been perfectly happy if I'd said that. It wouldn't bother him in the least. <laughs> because the, the culture, the worldly conditioning of the mind was, was an egalitarian one. You know, it's a, you, you, you really, you really looked at hierarchies as evil, as bad. And, and you looked at, um, Equality, egalitarian ideals is good. <clears throat> then in the in monastic life, then of course the the, the hierarchy is of course uh, based on seniority and so forth. So then you realize that 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 structure, you know, on the worldly life structure is, you know, A always has to come before B. You know, if you're reciting something, the one thing has to come before the other. That's the limitation of conditioned phenomena. <clears throat> you can say all the letters of the alphabet are the same, would be pointless. Uh, it would ruin the whole point of reading if we just had A and nothing else. <laughs> Well, at least, you know, we wouldn't have to bother with the, the neurotic problems around Zed anymore. <laughs> the tail end. So what do you do with it? Reflecting means you're, it's rather than operating from positions, idealistic positions, and that which oftentimes are very much, uh, you know, um, from our cultural backgrounds. So we're reflecting on, a, on how these things affect us. Seniority, being junior, being senior, being a samanera, being a nun, being an agarika and so forth, being junior, senior, ajahn. It's not the worldly mind then takes a stand for or against, you know. Or or complains or feels, you know, some, some, something's wrong if everything's just not fair and equal and, and egalitarian, that the worldly mind operating, the ego's operating. So that, that which is aware of the ego, you know, if, we, if I am my ego, then I can't be aware of it. Like my my desire for for equality, that only makes me want. That only makes me suspect and look down on hierarchy. So if I align myself with egalitarian ideas, the only way I can I can't see that. I'm I've become that. So I can only see hierarchy as uh, something inferior. It has to be lower, worse, or uh, critical of it in some way. That's the way the thinking mind works. The ego is based on thoughts, emotion, identity with emotions and thoughts. <clears throat> so, just, just reflect on that.
So in the structures, then of course the ego is going to be tested, you know. We in in a in a community. So in in Thailand, for example, being trained in the Thai system, my ego was under attack most of the time. <laughs> because it was a, it was a, you know, just had to learn how to if I was going to stay there, then I had to look at it in a different way than than making the demands that my cultural conditioning would make on life. And then I wasn't, if I was there to to do something, to become something or become a Buddhist monk or get something out of it or set it straight or modernize it, maybe I, you know, the arrogance of, a, of an American mind can go thinking, well, they're this backward, you know. Old Thai force really needs modernization, needs streamlining. I could easily go into that. You know, it's old-fashioned. They aren't up to the, you know, they aren't meeting the needs of modern humanity and so forth. So that was the, the mind, you know, how one could look at it in a worldly, through the worldly conditioning. But in the reflective capacity, then what was, I could see, I could be aware of being threatened by it or being averse to it or being critical of it or not liking it in some way. And that was the point of the, the whole point of the life, you know, why one why I became a monk was to well, you know, was to, to develop to to open to life, to live to be liberated from these these very uh, uh, painful conditions I was clinging to. Being very idealistic is a very painful state, I've found. Because, you know, you, you, you're, never going to, you're never going to succeed. You know, you can't, you, you know, you, when you're young you can think, I'm going to change the world you know, and you look around, you look at the prime minister or the president or your mother and father and the arrogance of youth. I'm not going to be like them. I'm going to use my life for change and get something done. And, and then uh, and that, that kind of, that's inspiring and motivating on a worldly level. So then, you know, I found that I could get things done, and not to diminish that or, or uh, you know, despise that. But in spite of even the, the successes of my life, when I have achieved and attained things and all that, when I've been a worldly success, I still didn't feel liberated by that. There's just more and more to do. It's never stopped. One just got kind of burned out by by the world. At least that was my experience. So then the the reflective life, the monastic life, 
you know, he taught the, we, the, the four requisites. And uh, this is the, these are the supports for the monastic life. Alms, food, robes, uh, shelter, and medicine. So then, then you, you, the, you know, when you ordain, you get this anusasana, where you have to, you listen to me, and I say, are you willing to, you know, and then you, you go through, go through the four requisites, you know, to, uh, which are at the lowest possible level. <clears throat> They're not high standard requisites even. They're not stainless steel arms bowls are the very best, you know, the, uh, that life has to offer. Uh, high tech uh, requisites. <laughs> but they're, they're as low as you could possibly get material requisites. So rags for robes, arms food for what you eat, you know, when somebody drops into your bowl. And then, uh, uh, root of a tree, the basic requisite for a shelter. And, uh, and then the medicine, is, uh, is like fermented urine, medicine, basic kind of appalling medicine to an American mind. So then you think, well, no matter how sick I am, I've always, I can always produce some urine. <laughs> and <laughs> then, uh, and, and rags, and uh, hopefully get something to eat. Somebody will be kind enough to put something in the arms bowl. So the, the, the requisites are at this basic level, not as a standard that one clings to. It's not meant to be taken in a worldly way that I have to always live at this level of, I have to, you know, only go around uh, looking for old rags and to sew them into a robe I can wear, or, uh, you know, putting it on a very idealistic level of trying to live at the lowest possible standards. But it is, for the reflective capacity of the mind, what it does, what does it do? That it, it does, I found by using that, the reflection on the four requisites, uh, uh, a, a lot of uh, gratitude coming up, because you're always getting better than that in monastic life. You're always getting much better than, than rags. You give you usually quite nice robes and, you know, and give you a shelter, a cootie to live in, and Alms food people, you know, usually aren't just going to drop any old thing in your alms bowl. They want to they put effort trying to make nice things to put into your alms bowl. And, and uh, medicine, you know, it's a, you've got all kinds of med medicinal opportunities, especially here in, in Europe, where, you, you know, you've got acupuncture, all kinds of massage and you know, things are offered to us all over the place you know with modern medicine homeopathic whatever you whatever your whim moves to you can have it you know no matter <laughs> <clears throat> so uh, fermented urine is not really a problem here
<clears throat> but it's a good reflection because it's so easy to take everything for granted. You know, middle class person like myself, you, you, you spent your life taking everything for granted. That you, the life owes you all kinds of things, owes me really high quality things. And, and uh, you know, that's how I'm conditioned to think. That's my worldly mind. So, in the, you know, the middle class is, you know, it's, it's this mind that always trying to improve everything, make, get better, higher standard, you know, so that you're, you're never content what, with, with last year's model, you know, with last year's fashion, something that's, it's, uh, it, the, the modern system, economic systems don't, don't want us to be content, they'd fall apart. You know, if we all became, if everybody in Britain became content, it would be a disaster. <laughs> so, but yeah, for the monastic life, and that's a worldly thing, isn't it? To create discontent, so you go out and spend your money. Monastic life, then it's, it's around this contentment. Being content, because then that the contented state of mind is peaceful. You're not, if you're not content and you're always looking for something else, then you, that's a restless energy. You know, so you, you, you never really appreciate what, what you have because you can imagine it being better than what it is. At least I can. <clears throat> no matter how good it is, I can always imagine it being better than that. <laughs> So, so then this reflective capacity is a different way of using the mind, isn't it? It's not thinking how to improve or get better, but to recognize, you know, the, the samana is like this, samana life. Then the, the alms food, then the shelter, the robe, the medicine is, is uh, we're seen with we're learning to be grateful for what is offered because it's, we're always getting, you know, much better than, than, than what we expect. Or what we reflect on, anyway. So, so then I began to develop a lot of this gatanyu, gatavaiti, or gratitude in the first five, six years of monastic life in Thailand. I just began to through reflecting on, on the, the people were really trying to support me, to, for me to become, to be enlightened. I felt, everybody in this country, Thailand, wants me to be enlightened. And they're willing to feed me and give me a place to live and everything, <laughs> just so I'll get enlightened and I can devote myself to to freeing the mind from its delusions. So, so then when, when you reflect, reflect, reflect like that, then, then uh, you know, you, you begin to feel gratitude rather than grumbling about, and I don't like the way they do it, and, and the food, and they don't give me enough protein or enough this or that. <coughs> Uh, 
then in, uh, when I was staying with Ajahn Chah, Ajahn Chah liked to murder the food anyway. They mixed it all up. So it would be pretty unappetizing slop, actually. You know, they pour it all in, in a big bowl, you know. Then we'd ladle it out into the alms bowls. And when you, and you've got all these different curries and everything mixed up. Fortunately, it wouldn't mix the sweets in with the curries. You know, it'd be different bowls. <laughs> but then the curries, you can get all like fish and chicken and pork and frog and everything all mixed up in one and then ladled down. And I, you know, I, I hated it. I couldn't eat it at first. But then through reflecting, you know, I began to, just by watching my mind, they like reflecting or watching and, and, and noticing what I'm feeling and being aware, and then having, you know, why should these people even give me that? You know, who am I that that I should, that I should, you know, think of I'm, you know, I'm a very important person, so you should give me your best. is is not a state of mind. I want, I came into the life to cultivate. And so I was trying to get away from my own arrogance. was was uh, was not a pleasant mental state to be identified with. So, so then by reflecting uh, you know, on the goodness of the offering of the food and so forth and the, the generosity and all this offered out of um, faith and, and, and wanting and hope and, and, and uh, wanting me to, to benefit, to, to uh, be fed, to be sheltered, to be clothed properly so that I'm free to develop the pawana, cultivate the path. So then the, this contentment and gratitude were some tuti and katanyu gatavaiti were became very powerful in in my life in the within the first I think six years. And that's through reflecting on the on the on the life. That wasn't just I wasn't romanticizing. <coughs> you know, I could definitely consider more efficient ways of doing things and the way I thought I'd be done if I wanted to and so forth. So, I mean, it had this other side, the worldly side. But then the, the whole point, the, 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 the pointing was always at this reflectiveness. We were never asked to, to hold to the monastic life and cling to it and then defend it and say it's better than anyone else's. You know, you know, make a, you know, try to convince yourself that you're somehow superior to the lay people because you're a monk and so forth. And this, this kind of, this is what one could do with, it, with a worldly mind. I could make a good case for myself being superior, being celibate and not handling money and only morally uh, superior to others and I could become a real uh, snot. 
So, but that would be the worldly mind operating again. So then the, you know, the, just by investigating this, more and more, the, I began to, uh, you know, really feel the, these, uh, this sense of being content and, and grateful. It wasn't that I always felt contented and grateful, you know, because uh, the worldly mind's easy to stir up. But once I began to recognize contentment as a reality, the, the joy of contentment, then, then I began to notice that is that that's a, that gives me such a good space to be in to reflect on the Dhamma. If I'm content, if I'm not content, then I I don't have. I'm always thinking about what I'm going to do next, what I well, how I could improve everything, or what I don't like about this place, and and mind goes off into the worldly mode again. But if I feel content. I've got the four requisites, good enough. And uh, Dhamma Vinaya is taught. That's the standard. So in, in that case, then if one is, goes to a monastery where you don't have enough food, or then there's, there's, it's justifiable to go to another place. But <laughs> if you... If you uh, you know, if, if there's enough food, shelter, so forth, then, the, then using that as a standard for the essentials for the Samana life, the Dhamma, the Vinaya, the Four Requisites. So I've used that in, in, uh, and found that. That's how in my life here in England has been uh, bearable. Because if, if uh, you know, so, ma- so much of the time you're dealing with, you know, in your first, especially in the first 10 years, it was pretty much, you know, building and working hard and, and uh, you know, having to repair Chithurst and then establishing this place and on and on into... Uh, and then I remember when we moved to Chithurst in 79, it was a derelict house. It was falling down. And uh, it smelled of decay. It had this dry rot. It was pretty, you know, it, was a, it wasn't a very livable place. And then uh, there was, we moved into, you know, where uh, West Sussex. So, and that were well, stockbroker belt. So, some of the people didn't particularly want a bunch of oddball Buddhist monks walking around the lanes, you know. This is uh, for more kind of, this was the real heart of England, you know, and for nice gentry, county types. And we, were, we didn't fit into those categories, so. <laughs> so there was some movement by a few uh, irascible locals that wanted to get rid of us, put a petition in to the council. 
So we didn't know whether we'd be able to stay at Chitter's house because they could actually have evicted us because it, it was unsafe to live in. You know, the way it was, they could have, the council could have evicted us and where would we have gone? We didn't have any other place to live. So then, uh, and all these worries, would we get permission to stay there or would this get through? Would we, would we have enough funds to repair this derelict house? Because we didn't have any money either. How do you, what are we supposed to do? So then the, the reflective ability was to say, well, I have a shelter for the night. So I began to look at Chitter's house as just a roof over the head for one night, rather than I want Chitter's house guaranteed to be our monastery for at least a thousand years. So, and suddenly I could let go this, this worry that hangs around will they approve if they, if they evict us where will we go, what will we do we'd already sold the house in, in London what would we do and uh, you know I'd go back to Thailand I guess I don't know what we'd do and uh, Will they approve and, and uh, what to do about all this? And worry, worry, worry. It gets, hangs around. You know, you go to bed at night, it's in your, in your head. And you wake up with it in the morning. And everybody's looking a bit nervous and, and that. And so, you, so then so I thought, it's only a roof over the head for one night, even though it was a leaky roof. <laughs> So, uh, and that helped me to be content, to not get, it would help reflect this worldly habit of worrying. Because, uh, you know, we're, uh, the, the Western mind is always worrying about something. There's so much to worry about. So when you, when you, uh, when the, this way I could feel contentment, gratitude for just having a shelter for the night. Or, and that would apply to the, the robes we have. We've never had trouble with robes or even food or medicine in Britain. You know, there's always been you know, an abundance of food and robe material and all that. <clears throat> so that's one way I found useful. In, in the midst of the the disrobings and traumas and and uh, ups and downs of monastic communities. What to do? You know what to do? How to how to work with that? <clears throat> I remember one time in the sala when we used the sala here. It was at the kind of peak moment uh, where everything was. We had like a Anagarikas galore, male and female, just this sea of white out in front, and then the, then the Sinodaras here, and the monks here, and there are so many. And you sit up there in front, and I look, and look out, and this, this room, this sala filled with samanas, 
in a sea of white and agaricas. And, and these, these, you know, and we're all used to sitting so impeccably and the nun sitting like this, the monk like this, you know, in rows and formations. It's so neat and, and so ordered. And it's so, such a feast to my worldly eyes. And I remember thinking, this is, this is really, uh, you know, I'm really a success here in England. Uh-oh. <laughs> Not shortly after that, it all began to fall apart. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know why things do that, you know. Never, I've never jump for joy when everything, when you've got everything because I think that triggers off the other signs. <laughs> but then in terms of the requisites, it didn't make any difference. Shelter for the night, mm, food, robes and medicine, good enough all the time. That's never had any, <clears throat> any problem with that. Then uh, Dhammavinya, always present. So that <clears throat> these are the, you know, this is the, 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 the what, 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 like, a, this is the, the zeitgeist of the Samana life. This, uh, this is what it's about. This holds you through the, through the ups and downs and changes and, and successes and failures on the worldly level, your own, you know, in your own mind and in the world around you. So sometimes, you know, I've been considered very successful. Sometimes I've been reduced to being an utter failure in people's eyes on the worldly level. You know, as a leader or as a abbot or whatever, I can, people have, can be very critical of me. Uh, <clears throat> on, the world, on the worldly plane, you know, on the worldly, how they see me through the, the worldly mindset. Or they, I get uh, boosted up onto the, onto the pinnacle. You know, he's the greatest Ajahn and all that kind of thing. That, and that, you know, that's always kind of exciting to be, to be praised. And it's, uh, it is a bit, and it's really depressing to be criticized. But what is the middle way through that, you know, when praise comes or blame comes? So, you know, I found contentment with the four requisites helpful. No matter what, I've got an, you know, the, the I've, I've, I feel my life, I have exactly what, all that I need anyway. <clears throat> In terms of the condition phenomena, you know, the four requisites, adequate, <clears throat> Dhammavinya, Practice with that. Reflecting and then using the, the eight worldly dhammas 
for reflection. So, you know, they, um, good fortune, bad fortune, high status, low status, praise, blame, happiness, and suffering. So they call the eight worldly dhammas. And so Ajahn Chah is always saying, you know, they're of equal value. Praise and blame, equal value. Praise, good, blame, good. Success, good. Failure is good. You learn from them all. Don't favor anyone. Just take them as they come. Well, that's not a worldly mindset, isn't it? That's not how my worldly mind thinks. My worldly mind wants, I want to be successful and I, and I dread failure. You know, my personality is built around seeing myself as successful and fearing that I'm going to end up being a failure. <clears throat> that's my, how my ego operates. So what is it that can see the ego? What is it that knows the ego is the ego? Is the awareness of the ego. Wanting success is like this. Fearing failure is like this. So by trusting in this awareness, more and more you, you see, you know, you, you, you're, you're finding this machima bhattibhata, this middle way that, 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 that is self-sustaining. It's a, it's a, it sustains itself. It's not a creation, it's not a, it's not a fragile kind of creation that, that's very refined. It's very strong and sturdy once you recognize it, realize it. So, time's up. Thank <laughs> you.